Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, <clears throat> the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this podcast, Matt and I continue our exploration of the ethics imbroglio Boeing finds itself in over the 737 MAX jet. Matt did a Twitter storm this weekend where he looked at several different aspects of the decision by Boeing to make an additional safety option available at an additional cost and the fallout from both Lion and Ethiopian Air not purchasing this. We consider this from the ethical perspective, but also from the compliance perspective. We almost get philosophical. I know you'll enjoy it. It raises some very interesting and, in fact, difficult questions to consider. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds of a compliance-related topic. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into something Matt took a deep dive into this weekend, which is, uh, and he will tell you how he credits our beloved president for that, but it is uh, Boeing and business ethics. So, Matt, with that set up, you want to Tell us what uh, led to the tweet storm this weekend. Yeah, sure. So um, lately I have been reading this book that I think I would recommend to listeners that put me down this train of thought for my blog post about Boeing, but it is a book by a man called Richard Rumelt, R-U-M-E-L-T-E, Richard Rumelt, who wrote Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And in the book he talks a lot about how corporate managers forget that strategy, setting strategic decisions, is about making choices. And therefore, you must pursue some paths at the expense of others. It's not one of these things where you say, why don't we do all of our objectives all at the same time or something like that. No, it's very much strategy is about deciding what is more important and where we will focus our efforts. So there I was thinking about uh, Boeing because Donald Trump had put out a tweet last week about how Boeing should rebrand its max jet and maybe make a few bells and whistles and improvements to get by its very serious problem, I think, with the max jet and the two crashes at Lion Air and Ethiopian Airlines. And so I was thinking about Boeing and um, the software problems that it had with the max jet and this theory about making choices. And what sticks in my mind is that Boeing had this software that we now believe caused these crashes because they forced the nose of the plane down and pilots at Lion and Ethiopian Air could not correct that. It turns out that Boeing did know this was a possibility and it does have optional 
software that would let a pilot override and disengage that other software. I think it's called the MAX system, M-A-C-S. But the software that was forcing the plane down, standard issue, you would not have an override feature. But for a premium price, a pilot could get um, the override included, the software included, so you could turn the nose back up and fly on your way. And basically what happened here, and so, you know, U.S. air passengers should be aware that U.S. airlines buying the MAX jet sprung for that optional safety override software to avoid or get out of this problem. But Lion Air and Ethiopian Air and perhaps other airlines, I don't know, uh, they did not spring for that optional override that would get you out of the danger that caused these two crashes. So get back to what I had said earlier. Think about this. Um, Boeing had a choice it could make. It could have made that override feature to get out of the stall, could have made that standard issue across all MAX jets. It did not do that. It made the safety override feature optional. That was a choice, and that leads me back to the good strategy, bad strategy book and Richard Rummelt's point that you must choose to focus your attention on some things rather than other things. And what Boeing really did here was chose to make the profit-making objective higher than the objective of maximum safety for all MAX jets by putting that override software in all planes by default instead of charging you more for them. Um, And that got me really thinking. This is a reflection of where Boeing's corporate culture is and the the ethical priorities it has. I'm not saying that Boeing is a terrible company, but I am saying in this particular choice, uh, it had the option of putting ethics and safety first or putting maximum profit first, and it apparently put maximum profit above ethics. And that shows how really difficult and slippery it can be to think about ethics as you're making your strategic decisions as a business. And that's where I went with this post. So uh, you had a, uh, I think, a 10? 15 tweets. Perhaps 15 tweet storm this weekend. But also in your blog post, you had some text. Yep. And uh, it was uh, a little bit a little bit broader, I thought, than uh, what you just articulated. But uh, you also really say in your text that, you know, perhaps are we – coming to a more philosophical point than a more uh, compliance point, because what is the role of compliance in this discussion or even consideration? Yeah, you know, so I, I don't know. And in the, the text in my blog post, beyond the 15 tweets that I had over the weekend, um, I, I am not really sure what the right answer is here. And Tom, if you had thoughts, I'd love to hear them too. But if we say that compliance officers' primary job is to ensure that employees adhere to ethical standards in their daily duties and routines, okay. But that's not really what put Boeing down the wrong path here. What put them on the wrong path was a question about ethical commitment by senior leaders while they were making their strategic choices. And I kind of wonder, is that something that is addressable by ethics training? Uh, Is it something where really the compliance officer is going to waltz in and give a lecture about the importance of ethics while weighing strategic objectives to the board or to the C-suite? I could see that being intimidating under the best of circumstances, and I'm not necessarily sure that that is even necessarily 
feasible, possible. I'm not sure that it is or is not the compliance officer's job. And I'll give a frame here of what I mean. Are we getting into philosophy rather than just ethics and compliance? Plenty of people will say, as I have complained about Boeing and this software override that it made optional, um, they, plenty of people will point out that Lion Air and Ethiopian Air both also made a choice. They chose to get the cheap stuff with their software rather than pay more money for the override feature and maximum safety for their passengers. So Lion Air and Ethiopian Air also made a choice, and they made a poor ethical choice, and it cost 346 people their lives across these two crashes. That is fair to bring up. Now, Boeing, by making the choices it did to make its software features optional, created the conditions that allowed Ethiopian Air and Lion Air to also make an ethical, ethically poor choice and buy the cheaper software rather than the safer software. So where do we get into who's responsible for what here? It, was it really Boeing's responsibility to seal up that potentially bad choice from the airlines? Or was it Boeing's responsibility just to lay out all the choices and then, you know what, customer airline, you make that choice on your own. That is not our business. That is your business. I don't know what the right answer there is. And I don't know when we stray into an episode of The Good Place and its discussions about ethics versus more narrow corporate and compliance stuff that, Tom, you and I talk about every week. I'm I'm not really sure, but... It, this is like I think this is a gray area that we can't avoid talking about, but I, I don't know where the lines are in that gray area. So I guess I started off in a little bit different place, Matt, uh, because I uh, put on my lawyer hat and did a legal analysis. And under a legal analysis, if you have a product or good that is more safe uh, because of an upgrade, because of a change, because of a modification, and you make that modification available at a higher cost, you have uh, created knowledge that uh, a more safe product exists. And once you have created knowledge that a more safe product exists, you are now on actual notice that a failure could occur, and that can lead to enhanced legal liability. So when you have that sort of analysis within a corporation, um, uh, from the legal perspective, you always need to be extraordinarily careful because if you give the customer that choice, uh, if it comes back, uh, if, the, if you do have a catastrophic failure, uh, that failure could lead to a massive civil litigation. But beyond that analysis, what uh, what struck me was uh, I would have asked Boeing, did you have a sufficient process to make this decision? Uh, part of that process could have been the compliance function, but also it could have uh, should have started with the business function, operationalizing compliance by asking the business people who made the decision on whether or not to make this software upgrade mandatory or optional. Uh, did they sufficiently consider that within a process? If so, what were the reasons for uh, bifurcating the software option to a pay option uh, or uh, as opposed to a mandatory uh, com- uh, part of the component price option? So, um, I guess I'd look at the rigor around the process. Uh, the The final point you raised, though, it really did give me pause because typically you don't see uh, compliance as a part of this decision-making calculus. Typically, you would not ask uh, a compliance uh, professional to 
uh, weigh in on this type of decision. And it, it just struck me that it really may become more philosophical because having those discussions in your organization by the people on the front lines, the operationalized business persons who are having to make these decisions, I think uh, if safety uh, is the the most paramount, that's what you're going to go with. And and I would have said, well, you can always reflect a safer model in your minimum purchase price. Uh, that just would uh, go into it. So um, I would have to say, after reading your blog post and after listening to you, I'm not sure my answer is is any better than any you've articulated and perhaps some others that are out there. And that this may cause a lot of compliance practitioners as well as uh, operationalizing business persons uh, to think very hard about these kinds of decisions going forward. Well, you know, I think you raise a lot of good points there, Tom. And so, for example, I don't dispute that your legal analysis that you mentioned earlier is probably spot on, but in the real world, um, consumers have a funny way of responding with very well-articulated legal analysis by saying, who cares? And I don't think a lot of consumers would, um, you know, really absorb the lessons or the points that people are trying to raise by doing an analysis that way. They're simply going to think, if I have the choice of flying on an airline where I know the safety override addition exists or an airline where I don't know if it does or it doesn't exist, I'm going to pick the one where it exists. Um, so, you know, there, I think a lot of them will discard a lot of, you know, what corporations and compliance and legal departments normally go through. And they're just going to say, what feels right? And I think morally, most people at a visceral level feel like if you had a way to make the plane go from super safe to super duper safe, make it super duper safe. And, you know, by all means, we all know that even the best, uh, the, the, the worst max jet in the world is still far safer than me getting behind the wheel of my car. But if there is, um, if there are degrees of difference and there is a profit differential between the two, I think a lot of people are going to wonder if that passes the smell test. Um, the other point that I struggle with here, especially with Boeing, is clearly, you know, we say Boeing made a choice. Well, who is the they there? And, and I, I don't know. But um, I do know many ethics and compliance people at Boeing over the years who have been always hardworking, thoughtful, and competent, and yet this happens. So that gets to my earlier questions about where do compliance officers raise these sort of issues? Because um, I don't know where the they is for an organization as large as Boeing. And I shouldn't pick on Boeing too much, although they're the vehicle to raise this point. These kind of morally ambiguous decisions uh, arise at large companies all the time. And it is very difficult for outsiders, including consumers, uh, to figure out where did this decision come from and who really is at fault. And if I can't see that as a consumer, I'm just going to assume the company is not trustworthy and therefore I should avoid it. And, you know, maybe the airlines and Boeing will strangle me for saying this, but I as a person and like most compliance professionals, I travel a lot. I'm not going to get on a max plane anytime soon. Not now, not tomorrow, not when they roll out that software, because this has happened. Um, and I think most people would feel that way. And the real practical problem, whether we, this is for ethics and compliance, is it for the CEO, is it for the board? You know, we could argue about that. But the fact is, 
these are normal reactions that humans have to problems like this. So companies must figure out how to grapple with problems like this, whether it is with the compliance officer or without. I would prefer with. Um, but compliance officers may at least want to be aware that this is a gray area of debate, but it is important. Hopefully they could help their boards try and figure out where are we on issues like this. Because like I said, the answer is still basically I don't know, but show me the world where people will be less sensitive to ethically ambiguous decisions like this when corporate reputation is so important to building up trust. Like this, I think this is a very good emblematic example of what is coming for large corporations in the 2020s as they try and sort out levels of trust among your stakeholders and how ethics and compliance will factor into that. And um, I don't know that Boeing really did a good job here, although they certainly gave us fodder for conversation. So uh, there's a couple of uh, points you raised in there I'd like to follow up on. The first one is uh, both you and I know uh, several compliance professionals at Boeing. And you've known them, I think, a little bit longer because of your uh, prior tenure. Uh, but uh, I think we both feel like uh, their compliance program is uh, one of the, the better ones around, yeah. and it's one to look up to. And it really drives home uh, that it really it doesn't matter how great your program is uh, because you've, you've got to have these kinds of discussions literally throughout your organization, uh, not simply limited to sort of are we doing business ethically. The second point is, and you you uh, really hit this, uh, I thought, very well in your blog post, which is the fault of Ethiopian Airlines and Lion Airlines, that you made clear that they made poor ethical choices in their buying decisions. But the point that that drove home for me, Matt, was that um, much like the FCPA, we are focused on the supply side here. And that uh, it, it reinforced the message for me uh, about the FCPA only penalizing the company that pays the bribe, and that's appropriate. And here, our entire discussion has been around the supplier here, Boeing. And uh, it just struck me as a, a very powerful way to think about supply side versus demand side uh, going forward. And, you know, maybe this is another way that I like the Boeing example um, is because I have no doubt that Lion Air and Ethiopian Air are very sophisticated airlines. They are certified to fly at the same sort of standards as Western Airlines. But nonetheless, there can be many relationships where there is a knowledge and power differential where the customer is going to have to trust the producer or supplier that you guys know what you're doing. So therefore, if you're offering me the choice of additional safety – by definition, you must think, I don't necessarily mean it. It's just how much of a safety bug do I want to be? So I guess maybe I don't need it. And, you know, I, again, I do fault Lion Air and Ethiopian Air just as much, if not more, as I fault Boeing. But in other scenarios, I could easily see um, larger, more informed companies posing these sort of choices as you can do whatever you want and all outcomes are probably equal. And that may not be true. But the buyer will not have the sophistication to sort that out, uh, especially so if you are a business selling to consumers rather than the businesses. Um, but I think that is a probably a large reason why so many consumers now don't trust big business and they fear big business because they fear that they are not sophisticated enough to suss out what is really in my best interests 
because I don't know what the ethics and you know compliance positions and the ethical commitment is with this business. I can't see that as a consumer, and I'm not really sure, so I don't trust you. And like, none of this is good for profits if we have this contention and adversarial relationship. Um, but I could easily see situations where that's going to get magnified. And certainly, I think in the decades to come, like, yeah, that's only going to get more pronounced that we'll have to address these issues somehow. Let me take that last thread in a little bit different direction, tying into a prior blog post you wrote about regulatory capture and maybe take it a step further that if I'm a consumer of Boeing products outside the United States and Boeing has an optional safety uh, feature uh, that is not mandatory in the purchase of the airline, uh, might I conclude that, well, uh, the U.S. federal government in the form of the uh, uh, FAA has approved this plane for uh, sale, so I must not need this safety product because the federal government, at least the U.S. government, has not said it's mandatory, and that seems to me to really speak to some of the issues you raised about regulatory capture. That, that's exactly true, that in much of the world for much of the last, what, hundred and so years that we've had commercial aviation, you know, other aviation regulators looked at the FAA and said, if those guys say it's okay, I should say it's okay, too, because the FAA knows what it's doing. And now we don't know that the FAA knows what it's doing because the FAA basically ceded all of the regulatory approvals and design of the tests for the MAX jet back to Boeing, who miraculously came up with a jet in a safety certification form that the jet could pass. And wow, who ever would have thought that? Um, but now that we know that, people, aviation regulators elsewhere are going to be more circumspect about Boeing. Um, you know, probably that is a good thing, but... As I said before, Boeing is just the example of the broader phenomena that I suspect happens all too often, and especially for less regulated items that you know you deal with as mass consumers, you're in no position to be able to evaluate these sort of things with much competence. You have to trust the organization, and you can't because you're not sure where their ethical commitment is to serving you well, and um, I think that is a problem that corporations have to solve. How the ethics and compliance officer plays a role in solving it, you know, we could discuss that. And, you know, listeners, I'd be eager to hear what you guys have to think, too, on this. But, um, you know, it's not an issue that is going to go away. So, Matt, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time. But this has just been a fascinating uh, discussion of a current event that's still, unfortunately, in the news. I'm very interested to see where this may take us. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions of me, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I will link to Matt's article in the show notes, but you should definitely check it out and you should follow this story because it may have a lot of implications for the anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, and export control compliance practitioner going forward.
I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic into the weeds of compliance. Compliance Into the Weeds is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.